Hi, Antonio. How's it going? I'm doing well, Sid. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You've been good. really busy. Yeah. I've been trying to get a hold of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, with all of the uh, return of the various sports here in the, um, in the States, it's been lots of activity, lots of things to talk about. And, um, of course, from a uh, health, health and uh, social standpoint as well, lots of things to really discuss and unpack here. And then we're adding sports to it. So lots sure. of things to talk about. Sure, sure. So um, uh, I know the coronavirus isn't doing too well, I mean, with everything going on in America. No, mm -hmm. no. It, it's not. It's not. It's one of the... Um, you know, it's one of the places where initially we had a spike, then it kind of went down in some places, and now it's sort of spiking again because um, I, I think we were all a little lax in terms of our approach of returning back to normal life. And, you know, yeah. people wanted to come back to normal life, and which we all understand, but I, I think we were all moving a little too quickly. Sure, sure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. What are your what's your opinion on the NBA and the bubble? You know, um, as a person that's married to this sport, from working in it for as long as I've worked in it, playing it myself, um, it's great to see the um, the sport back. But at the same time, Sid, it, it's very sobering at the same time to watch it because not only because of the social um, climate that we currently have here. And this is something that I want to say too, this is around the world. This isn't just in the United States, right? right? And, and so with the social climate that we have, and then when you add all of the um, guidelines and parameters that the players in the WNBA, I'm a big fan of the W, right. and the NBA um, have to play under, from a safety, a health and safety standpoint, is very sobering to watch the game. So in one respect, you're happy and you're excited that the games are back. Mm -hmm. But then in another respect, it, it's, it's very sobering to watch a game. And you watched, when I was watching the WNBA this past weekend, and I watched all six games, um, when you're watching a player uh, give it, and they're being interviewed at halftime or at the end of a quarter, and they have to practice social distancing, sure. right? Sure. It's very sobering. And, and also, too, from a social standpoint, when and shout out to every player in the WNBA that was interviewed, as they were talking about players, they actually said, yeah, this is about Breonna Taylor, mm -hmm. right? right? So, you know, so even with them talking about, yes, we're playing well as a team, I'm playing well, but there are bigger things going on. Sure. That was very, it was very uplifting, but very sobering at the same time, mm -hmm. because it reminds you of the times that we're in. Right. So you can't just, you don't just watch the game and just not, and, and rightfully so, you don't watch it and just think about the game. You think about the other things that are going on. Sure. So um, I'll say this, Sid, and I'll say it really quick. Um, I have been, especially giving, if you remove the social things, Remove those things. And those things are very near and dear to me. You remove those. If you just look at this from a health standpoint, it's hard because of the unknown aspects sure. of the coronavirus sure. and, and the, um, the unknown aspects of it. 
the side effects and some of those are an enlarged heart, right? And, and which is a very serious medical event. Sure. And then the other things that are not known, I have been practically on every platform that I spoke about this, um, that I've been on, I have been pretty adamant about, I just don't think this is a time for sports, mm-hmm. right. Right? right? But if we're going to have sports, I also want to support the athletes that are playing. Sure. Right? So that's how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, with uh, soccer in the UK, they've done an okay job, you know, no crowds and uh, um, whatever measures they could have taken, they've done it. And um, luckily, right. like with the Premier League, I don't know how much you follow it, but uh, there hasn't yes. been any big issue as such, you know, even with all the, with football and the contact, you know, so. Right, right. Well, we've had just recently this morning, um, we've had in in baseball, as baseball has returned, the Miami Marlins have actually had to cancel their next game because Florida is a hotspot. It is the hotspot in the United States right now with respect to COVID-19. And um, the the, uh, Miami Marlins, just had 12, play, 12 players and coaches test positive. So wow. they had to cancel their next game. And um, so, again, it's and, – and we're talking about a sport where in the WNBA and the NBA, and then when the NHL comes back, professional hockey in, this, in here in North America, these three team sports are going to be uh, played in a bubble. Sure. But Major League Baseball is not in a bubble. Mm-hmm. And, and, and neither is, you know, American football when it returns as well, mm-hmm. not in the bubble. So with that being said, now these players are going back to their communities and interacting with whoever they're interacting with. They're also traveling back and forth. Right. And, you know, with Miami was just playing in Philadelphia. Right. So um, so that increases the uh, the chances of you contracting COVID-19. Right. So with that being said, Sid, like, I just wonder, during this time where there's so much unknown about the, uh, about the pandemic, if we're going to have sports and we're going to ask these athletes to place themselves, themselves at risk, mm-hmm. I wonder if it's, the, especially in, in, let's say, in the States, I wonder if it's the right mentality and approach sure. to have some of these sports operating outside of a bubble right and and it may be while everything is going on if we're going to have these athletes play they may need to play in a bubble right 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 Right? and because again the the situation in the uk and in europe is is a little bit different than it is here it's it's out of control and you know miami again with florida being one of the hot spots it sort of makes sense that 12 Miami Marlins players right. and, and coaches, right? It, it's, it's just really a, a, a crazy situation. It, and if you are a sports fan and if you have a little bit of humanity, it's hard to watch these sports and be totally excited sure. that they're all coming back. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I personally felt the bubble is like, you know, a very good decision because you know uh if you're away from your family you know if you have you know young ones or if you have your parents or your grandparents 
um, if you're in a bubble and you're there, and even if you get it, you're still there, right? So you're already isolated and none of right. your family members get affected. So right. from a personal standpoint, it's a good, uh, it's a much better thing than, you know, moving, being able to move around the States, right? Agreed, agreed. Especially if, again, if you're, if you're going to ask these athletes to risk their health, sure. right? The best thing that we can do is ask them, is, is make sure that we give them the safest conditions, let them compete under the safest conditions possible sure. during this time, right? Because again, we're talking about a global pandemic and there is no known cure for this. Mm -hmm. And we're asking them to play sports. And, you know, these sports are, are, are to a varying degrees, they are contact sports. Because even in baseball, there is a level of contact when a player is, is when one player is trying to tag another player. Right. There's a level of contact there, right? right? And, and the players are sitting next to each other in the dugout. Obviously, basketball, there's contact. Obviously, you know, football, there's contact. American football is a collision sport in contact. So, you know, with that being said, virtually none of these sports are, are golf may be the closest in, you know, in the States as well. We've also seen um, a return to uh, NASCAR, yeah. right? And, and tennis. Those are social distancing sports. Yeah. But even with that, there's still contact. It's not as if, Mm -hmm. the individual players are in a bubble themselves right. and not interacting with the coach, not interacting with, you know, in tennis, you have people yeah. that are actually running on the floor, on the, uh, on the surface, whether it's clay grass or, and they're running on the surface and they're grabbing the ball. Sure. Right. And, and so it, it's just, there, there's virtually no way that you can kind of make sure 100% that no athlete will contract this. But at the same time, I feel like if we're asking these athletes to do this purely for money and entertainment, if we're asking them to do this, we need to, to create the safest conditions possible. Sure. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so Antonio, um, I'd first, we'd first like to know about your journey, how you got started. Why don't you yeah. tell us a bit about that? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, my journey is, um, you know, I grew up an athlete. I grew up, I was born in St. Louis, Missouri, and grew up in Los Angeles, um, California. And, and as I was growing up, Sid, I played uh, primarily baseball and um, American football, primarily. Um, but there were various times throughout my um, life that I played football from a global standpoint, right? Soccer here. Mm -hmm. um, and um, ran track, did all of those different things as well. Um, and then later, I would say, right as I was um, about to, um, when I was ending middle school and going to high school, um, I started to get exposure to basketball through yeah. one of my aunts who was a really good basketball player herself. And, you know, she would kind of force me to watch basketball because I'd be watching a football game because here in the, in the States, American football and basketball kind of are on the same calendar. And, you know, so I would be watching an American football game and she would come in and say, hey, I want to watch the basketball game. 
And so um, eventually I started watching and that's how I was bitten by the basketball bug. And um, again, continued to play all the sports, but basketball quickly became my favorite sport. And um, with it, that quickly becoming my favorite sport, my favorite player was Michael Jordan. And it was during that time. And, you know, I wore number 23 as a player and all of those different things because I wanted to emulate him on the floor. Sure. And right. Huge influence on me. Huge influence. And that, that wearing that number 23 during those times, you also had to be a really good player because mm -hmm. people would look at you and say, why are you wearing 23 if you're not very good? Right. 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 So, so um, I enjoyed the, and to use some, some one of our terms here that we use, Sid, um, I wanted all of that smoke, right? All of the, the challenges, all of the tension, everything that came with wearing that number, I wanted that. Mm -hmm. and, and because it actually gave me an edge. It made me play better because I knew everybody was coming for me. Sure. So, um, you know, then there were times throughout my career that I stopped wearing it, but I went back because of that um so i did that then i thought i wanted to work in investment banking mm -hmm. and um so went to brandeis university in boston in boston massachusetts and one of the best universities in the world um i went there and uh played there but all of my internships in the summer were in sports sure. and, or entertainment and um and I thought I wanted to work in investment banking. So I actually shadowed a group that for about a week that I was going to work with in New York City. Mm -hmm. And I quickly figured out I didn't want to do it. And um, so I was fortunate enough to get a job in the NBA league office. And I worked in WNBA and NBA basketball operations. And what I did there was, um, when you're in basketball operations for the league, you're now working and um, you do scheduling. Um, you, you, you work with that. You work with rule changes. If there are changes in, and you guys want to implement different things um, for the league. So there are rule changes. You, you're doing, you're processing fines, suspensions, you're processing free agent contracts, trades, making sure that all of those things comply with the salary cap and all of the different rules that are put in place. Um, so all of the things that happen on the floor during the game from a league perspective, is kind of what you do in basketball operations for the league. Sure. Um, so it was an, an incredible experience. That's when I really started learning about the business aspect of sports and basketball in particular. Mm -hmm. um, one of the other things as well, Sid, is it's, it really speak, it really kind of piqued my interest in sports as a business because the thing about the NBA is the NBA, yes, is a basketball company, but it's actually a marketing company wrapped in basketball. And because that's why the players, starting with Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, to Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, the great Kobe Bryant, now LeBron James, et cetera, um, what the NBA has been successful with doing in terms of mar marketing the game. And, you know, and in India, the game is exploding, right? And, and so 
what what it's done is the NBA has done an incredible job of taking their stars and their players and marketing those and using those stars and leveraging those stars for growth of the game around the world from a global standpoint. Mm-hmm. So you, the only way you can do that is if you understand marketing, mm-hmm. right? So I really started to gain an interest in and in understanding of sports as a business working in the NBA. Sure. And so then after that, I actually went back to Boston and worked in scouting for the uh, Boston Red Sox. And okay. I see you have a Patriots hat on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, studies in MIT, so. <laughs> nice, nice, yep. So Brandeis University is in Boston. So yeah, so uh, uh, one of those, you know, elite academic schools like an MIT, Harvard, it's like, in, in Boston, it's like, Boston is unique here in the States because it's, um, it's a major city, mm-hmm. but it's actually a college town because there's something like 54 colleges and universities in the metropolitan area of Boston. Right. Right. So, um, and lots of high academic ones from MIT, Harvard, Brandeis, Wellesley, Bentley University, all these different amazing schools that are there. Sure. Um, so, um, so went back to Boston and worked for the Boston Red Sox there. Won the World Series in 04. That was the first World Series that, that Boston, that the Red Sox had won in 86 years. Mm-hmm. So um, an amazing accomplishment for um, a team that is one of the staples in Major League Baseball. You know, and so, um, so I won that World Series, was there for another year and a half, and then um, an opportunity to, I wanted to get back into basketball. Sure and an opportunity to scout for the league mm-hmm. presented itself. Right. And so when you're scouting for the league and stop me, if you have any questions <laughs> and, and I have many. <laughs> okay. So stop me at any time. Sure. So when, when you're, when you're scouting for the league, um, you're scouting for, we have, it's called the uh, draft combine. So mm-hmm. what we do is you go around the country and you're scouting all of these college players for the invites for um, being a part of the uh, draft combine, where at that point, you, you bring all the teams in the league, have all of their personnel people, all of their scouts, and they watch players play and they evaluate them right before the draft. Mm-hmm. So I did that for the NBA. And um, someone happened to see a scouting report that I uh, wrote that I had written and asked me, hey, with ESPN, we're starting to build our basketball business. Right. Um, and we're, we need some more writers. Would you be interested in coming on board? I said, absolutely. <laughs> um, and, and I didn't know that I was a writer mm-hmm. until I wrote my first article that was on ESPN.com. Right. And um, so that was an amazing experience and, you know, scouting high school, college and professional players and writing those articles and writing basketball human interest articles on ESPN and, and, um, and all of, and, and hosting chats on ESPN.com. Amazing experience. Um, and so then an opportunity to work in basketball sports marketing presented itself to work for me at Nike. 
So I took that. And, um, and when I was there, again, I was scouting because I was evaluating college players and helping our pro group as we were deciding who we wanted to enter into endorsement uh, partnerships with, mm-hmm. like Giannis, LeBron, et cetera. Um, and so that was great. But also, too, for the American um, institutions, colleges that compete at the highest level of, of college basketball here, I was negotiating some of those deals with some of those schools that were competing at that highest level and helping them with their uniform redesign, all of those different things at Nike. So again, learning the business of sports, right? And, and um, an amazing experience. Um, so I was there. And then for a year, um, I actually left Nike and I went and led and started and led a basketball division at a, at a major financial management company. So helping players grow their wealth, not only maintain it, but grow it. Right. right? And, and so doing that, helping them when they were looking for advice about, Hey, I want to start this business or I'm going to purchase this home. What do you think? Sure. So, yeah. So do, doing that amazing experience as well, learning more. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I finally got to where I wanted to go, and that was to be a scout and working in player personnel for the Phoenix Suns in the NBA. And amazing experience as well. Mm -hmm. And I like to say, with my experience, Sid, I've been fortunate enough from an athlete perspective, every walk of life that, that an athlete will encounter, I've had experience in it, whether that's being a player, working for the league, working in the media, working in finance and working for a team. So, so with that being said, um, and and now it's, I'm taking all of those experiences and all of that insight Mm -hmm. and sharing it with the people. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. That's, that's an incredible journey. And it's very, I mean, it's not very often that, you know, uh, we come across individuals who is, uh, you know, who, you know, been through all parts of the, ecosystem right you know you may have yes. players become coaches but then uh, you know or, or maybe start their own company or startup but you don't have someone who's worked as a player and then a scout and then I mean who's been a player and then you know getting into scouting and content and then it's incredible. Right. Thank you I appreciate it. it it's I've been fortunate to learn a lot and been sure. fortunate enough to experience a lot and um it's been great. And as I said, I try to, those things that, that I've acquired through experience and things of that nature, I try to share that with, again, people that are interested in the business or um, from a content perspective of people that are about to embark on their professional journeys or people that are just fans of the sport and they want to get a different perspective. I try to share all those things when I'm providing that content. And at the same time, I'll say this too. I try to when I'm talking about players or teams or happenings in our world um, from a a sports perspective, I try to deliver those things, give that content, let my passion and knowledge about those subjects come through. But I also try to make sure that I keep it about the actual players and, and the games themselves. This is not about me. 
Sure. I try to make it about them. My time as a player has come and gone, sure. right? So, so with that being said, I really try to not as much as I try to provide that, that, that information mm-hmm. to the fan, I try to also not make this about me and sure. make it about the player. Sure. So, mm-hmm. um, like, like uh, you said, you've been part of every aspect of sports. So, right. uh, is the athlete or the player the, in, the focal point and everything's built around it? Or... Uh, is the organization or the media the main thing and then players may come and go and it's all marketing and you can make an average player a superstar just through marketing? Well, it, it, it's, it, it's when you look at that combination or you look at that concoction, it's a percentage of everything. Mm-hmm. And now, in my estimation, some of those percentages some are greater than than others but you have to include everything in the mix if you want to have a complete meal um so but having said that from my perspective it's mostly when you talk you start talking about those percentages the players are the vast majority of that percentage Mm -hmm. right And, and you have to make sure that everything that you're doing is is yes there are, the organization has to be great the marketing has to be great all of those things have to be great but it's you have to be player centric and those things have to be related to the player sure. and the organizations and the sports that do the best job of making it about the players mm-hmm. are the ones that enjoy a certain level of longevity Right. And basketball. And it's different in each sport. But the way basketball is in particular is because it's a a sport that only has five players on the floor at once. Mm -hmm. Right. The players and and the other thing from a marketing uh, perspective as well, Sid, the players don't wear headgear. They don't wear pads. So essentially, just like football right? Global football, the way that you see a player off the pitch or the way that you see a player off the court, on the court Mm -hmm. or on the pitch is exactly how they appear off the court or off the pitch. Right. 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 So they are so recognizable because they don't wear helmets. They don't wear hats. They don't wear pads. They're so recognizable that your marketing has to be about them. Right. If you want your players to be pop culture, if you want your sport to, especially with all the competition that we have now living in the information age with social media and all those different things, if you want your sport to be a transcendent sport, Mm -hmm. if you have inherent advantages, you have to leverage those. So the NBA, basketball, and global football have inherent advantages that the way that Mario Balotelli looks all on the pitch mm-hmm. is how he looks off the pitch. Right. So they market that, right? right? And they leverage that. And so you, when you play sports like that, you have to make it about the, the athlete. It has to be much more athlete-centric. And then when you do it from a branding perspective, 
say if you're a Nike or you're an Adidas or you're one of these companies that you want, that you leverage the platform of athletes to sell products, mm -hmm. you have to make it about the athlete, right? You have to. Yeah. And, be, and, and, and if you don't, you get, especially now in this day and age, and it's even changing in sports where players are wearing headgear, mm -hmm. like football. Sure. Because there's much more information out there now. When I say football, I'm talking about American football. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's much more information out there. Right. Since we live in the information age, what, we, what is the saying that we use all the time, Sid? Knowledge is power. Sure. So players are now exercising their platforms now because they know more now, mm -hmm. right? right? So if you are an organization and you want to make sure that you create an environment where your players can excel. And then when free agency comes, players actually want to be a part of your team. Mm -hmm. Then you better make sure that you are addressing the player's concerns. You better make sure that you're making it about them. Sure. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so although all of those different things that you mentioned, the marketing, the organization, your part, in the but the most impactful part of that concoction are the players and there's no doubt about that right right so um you know in this age of social media everything's into one million right whatever the player does so right it's like you know it goes hand in hand of course you know when the player does something good it you know it's uh, an incredibly huge uh, effect and you know all over social media and uh, you know when they get into controversies drinking and driving or anything they say they put out a tweet that goes against the sentiments of anyone you know nowadays people get offended so quickly um, their whole their ratings go for a toss you know and you know they basically get cancelled so how hard is it for the players now it's very hard it's very hard you know, it, it's, it's, um, you know, with, with the amount of access that if you, if you have one of these sit, yeah. which is a cell phone, right? If you have one of those, you are a member of the paparazzi mm -hmm. because sure. you can record anything that anybody does sure. at any time, you know, and, and one of the things let's, let's use this for as an, as, as an example, when, Money, whenever money is part of the equation, there's a sense of entitlement that comes with that as well. Sure. Case in point, when a fan pays as the price of admission for tickets to games, mm -hmm. as those prices continue to rise and those fans pay the premium, because they pay a premium to go to the game, Sid, their thought process is they can go to the games and say whatever they want to the players. Sure. Because... They, they feel entitled. I pay a small fortune to get here. And now the concessions as well that I'm paying while I'm there to buy a t-shirt, to get some food at the game, to get something to drink at the game, et cetera. All of those things cost a lot of money. So now since they cost a lot of money, people think they can say whatever they want to these players, sure. which is not right. Right. right? And then on the other side of that with players, because the, the salaries for players have risen. People think, wow, since this player makes $100 million, 
if they're at dinner with their family and if I want an autograph, because they make $100 million, I should be able to go up to them and get an autograph whenever I feel like it. Right. And, 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 and that is not right. Definitely. That's not right. Sure. It doesn't matter how much the player makes. If that person is out with their family, the best thing you could probably do as a fan is leave them alone. Right. Right? Yeah. And, and so because, you know, because they, they don't get that chance to be out with their family mm -hmm. because they are – to a certain extent, held captive by their celebrity status, right? And so, um, so with that being said, yes, absolutely. And then now with, you know, it used to be a time where before, again, the internet and things of that nature, it used to be a time where when someone wanted a player's autograph, they really wanted that autograph because they loved, they, they, you know, they hold that player in reverence, right? And so they're like, I can't wait to get their autograph, right? And they keep it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether it's on the wall in their house or whatever the case may be. But now, because of the internet and things of that nature, when players are now signing autographs, they don't know if that autograph's going to end up on eBay, right? right? And, and so, and, and now that autograph ends up on eBay. Someone just got a fortune because... Michael Jordan just signed a ball and Michael Jordan doesn't get anything from that. Right. Right. So it, it, it's, it's very complicated. Um, but yes, the fact that we have social media and all the things that we have, you know, we're hearing about, we hear about ever so often someone in the stand says something crazy to a player. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and it's again, part of their thought process is I paid a fortune to be here. I can do and say whatever I want here. And you sure. can't do that. Sure. Be passionate about your fans, about your team. You know, boo the other team, whatever you want to do. But mm -hmm. there's a line that you cannot cross. Right. And, 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 and I can say that again, as being a black man here, there are times where people are saying certain things that cross the line. Definitely. Right? And they cross the line just because they you know, they bring whatever they think to the game in terms of their thoughts. But since they paid a fortune, they feel like they can suit, do and say whatever it is that they want. Mm -hmm. And players are, are sometimes victim of that for sure. Sure, sure. So um, a follow-up to this, how do brands handle these things, you know? Because they know it's, it's like, I, like we spoke about, LeBron James does something great, their brand value goes up, you know, 20x. Right. Uh, and then he, he does something, I mean, uh, especially with America, you see, I mean, I, I mean when we follow it from India, uh, not just football, uh, not just basketball or football, just any celebrity, they text, I guess Kyrie Jenner texted about Snapchat a year or two years back and their, you know, share value went down by 20% immediately, you know? Yeah. Just through yeah. a tweet. So how do yeah. brands work along with players in this? Because at one end, players have to obviously abide by, you know, they know that they're in contract and they have brands and they have a responsibility. But the uh, other yes. end, they have to be themselves as well. They can't always always think about what they're saying or what they're not saying and 
let's say Dennis Rodman. I just saw. I mean, I saw the Last Dance documentary when it released. How would he survive in this age and in today's age? Right, right. No question. Well, you when when you're starting a brand or when you have a brand, one of the things you do said is if if you have sort of principles that your your brand operates by, and there and different brands operate by different principles, right? Um, you try your best before you sign an athlete. You try your best to ascertain if their principles and the things that resonate with them marry perfectly or as perfectly as possible with the principles that you sort of champion as a brand, sure. right? And so that's part of it. That's a major part of it. And, and, and making sure that to assert that, that as much as possible, those principles and ideals that that person sort of organically operates by marry with your principles that you operate by as mm -hmm. well. Right. Um, so that's one way. And then the second way is if, if you're a brand today, be, again, because of social media and technology, you have to be able to pivot. It, it, it's not, it's, you don't have the excuse anymore of the market because the market is always changing, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we've, that was, that's happened with social media and having things at our fingertips, what customers sort of look for and, and, and what they're looking for now is customization. They want things that fit them mm -hmm. at the moment that they want them, mm -hmm. right? So, so now, from knowing that from a brand perspective, you can't take your time changing if the market is changing rapidly. And there have been a lot of brands that we've seen that are very powerful global brands, but the bureaucracy has, has made it sort of like, you know, um, steering the Titanic, right? If you're driving, if, if you're steering the Titanic in order to, to make it change directions, it's going to go very slow because it's so massive, right? Well, that's not, you can't hide behind that excuse anymore because of technology has created customization and all of those different things. You have to adapt quickly. If not, we've seen a lot of brands, even before the economic impact, impact of COVID-19, we've seen a lot of brands go by the wayside. Brands that we thought would never go by the wayside, mm -hmm. right? Sure. Very impactful powerful global brands have gone by the wayside because they didn't have the ability, their bureaucracy and the red tape actually stopped them from being nimble and moving and adapting quickly to the market, sure. right? So um, again, with athletes being more and more informed, the, the companies now have to be more and more informed. Mm -hmm. and. And you just can't go to someone and say, hey, here's the deal. You better sign it. That's the end of it, mm -hmm. right? right. So, so brands, the ones that are, again, in tune with the athlete. When I was at Nike, one of the principles that we operated by, especially in sports marketing, because we were dealing with athletes all the time, right. was always listen to the athlete, right? And if, if you're developing a product and the feedback for them is, hey, this isn't comfortable for me because I don't like how this feels when I plant my foot. You, we should probably listen to that, right? Yeah. 
And so, um, so with that being said, that's one of the great things that Nike's been able to do mm-hmm. is listen to the athlete. And people forget this. As much as Nike has become the power that it, it, it's become, when I was wearing Jordans, Adidas and Converse were the basketball companies, right? Not Nike. Mm-hmm. So, um, but they listened to the market. They, they did things that were outside of, as they were listening to the market and seeing that the market was changing, they listened to the younger consumer. Sure. And said, hey, why do we have to just have white basketball shoes, mm-hmm. right? Let's make some red and black ones. Right. And at that time, I can tell you, said during that time, and that seems very basic now, right? But during that time, that was revolutionary in the 80s, mm-hmm. right? For them to do that. And so they listened to the market and look where we are now, right? right. And um, so with that being said, I, I think that's one of the things with brands that you have to do. You have to make sure, and that's what we do when we're scouting as well. We're gathering that background on that player and making sure that the things that resonates with that player also resonate and marry with our brand. Mm-hmm. And um, so when it's, when it's like that, it's pretty easy. But then as the market continues to change, the best brands also educate their players that they're in partnership with about the market changing. Sure. Right. And they continue to evolve and make sure that their partner evolves so that partnership can continue to evolve. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So, uh, yeah, about the scouting aspects, um, what do you look for in players? And when I say what you look for, do you just look at talent or do you also look at, you know, com- the commercial side of the player? Maybe, you know, I, I mean, it sounds really superficial, but I mean, it is true in a business world. You maybe look at the looks, the appearance of the player. Is that also a big factor when you're scouting players? Um, it, it depends. When you're, when you're scouting players for brand, Sid, yes, you're, you're looking at even more so outside of their appearance, you're also looking at how they speak when they're in front of a camera, right? Uh, Again, character, how are they when nobody's looking, right? Uh, You know, are we gonna sign this player to, and, and enter into a partnership with this player? And then, but they've shown some characteristics where at two in the morning, we may get a phone call of them doing something that they shouldn't do, right? Um, And it's the same thing when you're scouting for a team. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure as much as possible, again, because in basketball particularly, um, you are working in a sport where, and I mean this, I'll explain this when I say this, but the players are targets. The players themselves are targets because they're so recognizable, right? So all sorts of things, whether that's from a financial standpoint, because again, the players are recognizable. The way that they look on the pitch or on the court is the way that they would be look that they they would look if they were walking down your street. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is from a financial standpoint, they are targets, Sid, because you can Google their salaries. 
Sure. Right? This, the, the term that I like to use is pocket hustle. You can count their money. And you know this, right? It's very, for everybody else, for virtually everybody else in the world, it's personal how much money they make. Like, I wouldn't walk up to you and ask you, hey, Sid, how much money do you make? Definitely. Right? right? It's personal for everybody else with the exception of an athlete. Right. So when people know how much money you make, you become a target, right? You become a target for people overcharging you for the services they, that they provide, mm -hmm. right? Because they know you have the money, sure. right? So you have to be very steadfast about your education as a player and making sure that you have people around you mm -hmm. that know what they're doing. But as I said, when you're scouting them, you have to know that they are targets and people try and prey on, on them, right? And so with that being said, you have to make sure as much as possible that you are drafting or signing players that from a character standpoint are good citizens because they're going to be targets. It's not if they're going to be targets, it is they are going to be targets. Right. So you have to be able to trust that as much as possible that they're going to do the right thing, right? So when you're evaluating players, you're looking at those things as well. Sure. How do you interact with your teammates? How do you act? How do you respond when things on the floor from a basketball standpoint aren't going your way? Mm -hmm. When the coach has some harsh words for you, mm -hmm. how do you respond, sure. right? Because you are doing something when you're going, when you're trying to make the NBA, and these are all things that we have to be able to make sure that you can do, that you can persevere. Because Sid, when you come to the NBA, you are doing something that, give or take a few hundred, four thousand people in the history of the world have ever played in the NBA. Right. Think about that right so you're attempting to do something that only about four thousand people ever have actually done sure so as much as your talent comes into play in order for you to do that there are other things that come into play as well that have to go right mm -hmm. for you to climb the top climb to the top of that mountain right. does that make sense definitely definitely yeah so that actually um uh, if I was in, uh, if I was preparing, if I want to get into the NBA, it would bring me into the thought of, is it just me, you know, stopping school and just working on my game or if I should work on other aspects like you mentioned as well, right? Yes, yes. You should absolutely work on other aspects mm -hmm. because one of the things that you do when you're doing something that, Right now, again, as I said, there's only there's 470 players currently playing in the NBA. Sure. That's the whole world, right? So if you're doing something that only 470 people in the world are doing, then there are all sorts of other aspects that you need to be well-versed in to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. There are lots of, Sid, very talented players that from a talent perspective are good enough to be in the NBA, mm -hmm. but they're underdeveloped in other areas. Ooh. And that's the reason why they're not in the NBA. 
Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so there, so when you are doing something again, that only 470 people are doing as great of an athlete that you have to be to do that. You also have to have a high level of intelligence because let me tell you in the NBA, it's the most scouted league in the world. It's from a basketball perspective. So we will know all of your strengths, all of your weaknesses, all of those things. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that you have to do. You have to be able to process information quickly and make adjustments on the fly. Right. Right. Lots of people can be successful, but they, they're only successful if everything is scripted. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. When you are doing this at this level, when we, from a scouting perspective, you can't just rely on scripted things because we have scouted those things. So we're going to take away all of your scripted things. You have to be able to act off script, right? And that requires being able to process information at a high level very quickly and make adjustments on the fly. Sure. So where do you get that practice? School, right? School. And, and, and so interacting with other people, right? And you have a certain position and someone challenges you on that. Right right? That's where you learn that. So you have to be a very well-rounded individual, mm -hmm. despite what people say, because people talk about these athletes, and they only talk about their athleticism, Sid, and they don't talk about their intelligence, sure. right? And, and to do something at that level, the amount of intelligence that's required, and processing information quickly. That's one of the questions when we are scouting players and we're asking their college coaches about them before we draft them. Do they process information quickly? Right. Right? So, so being very well-rounded and, and, you know, when someone puts a microphone in front of your face and they ask you about world events, mm -hmm. right? It's very important to know things about other sectors of life other than basketball definitely definitely uh i feel america has a really good system where you know you can make it through the ranks getting a good education right you know uh in india i'll give an example if you genuinely have to pursue a sport right be it tennis or uh, cricket it's very hard to, you know, keep up with education and the sport. It's like you have to choose one out of one out you of have two. to choose. And yeah, mm -hmm. for in America, you guys have a very solid system. You know, many of my friends have gone to uh, America for college tennis, and they have to keep up with their grades, right? And uh, that's and then it doesn't complement. I live that them, life, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's that's. No, go ahead, Sid. I'm listening. Go ahead. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you don't have to compromise, right? You can have a good education and you have enough time to pursue your sport. So that's right. really amazing. No, it, it is. And, and as I said, I lived that life um, I'm going to, again, a very, um, an institution of high academic esteem and, and playing basketball, which is very demanding because it is a two semester sport. If, you, if you're going to, going to university, going to college on the semester system, basketball is the only sport that really spans two semesters. Sure. 
So it's almost, if your team is really good, you can start in October or November and you'll finish in the end of March or April. Mm-hmm. So it goes almost the whole school year. Right. 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 And, and um, so it, with it spanning those two semesters, it is very important that you, and I say this a lot when I'm talking with young kids, Sid, about uh, being athletes and, and, and um, aspiring to be athletes and, and saying and going to college. I tell them that, you know, the vast, the, the reality is you're not going to the NBA. So with that being said, you have to make sure that you balance your academics and your athletics. You have to, you have to. And, and, and the vast majority of uh, the professors that I had at Brandeis were pretty understanding about that with our travel. Our travel was very heavy. Um, there were some that were difficult, but that's everywhere, right? That, and, but generally speaking, yes, um, our system tries to do a good job with making sure that these athletes are balancing academics and athletics. Um, but sometimes I'll say this as well, when you get to that highest level um, from in college athletics, football and basketball, the two revenue sports, when you get in, in college basketball and college athletics, when you get to that level, that equation of student athlete mm-hmm. gets out of balance a little bit and it kind of becomes athlete student, right? Um, and so what the universities have to continue to do is make sure that they are helping their young, their young people develop and, and making sure that if they're missing the opportunity to get internships, because again, during basketball season, I can't have an internship. Sure. So the university has to, during the summer, make sure, look, you know that this player is representing your university mm-hmm. playing a sport that spans two semesters. Why don't you make sure in the summer that that player, that student, gets that experience that they need in the summer, right? So universities can't, they, they need to continue to do a good job with that. Right. So um, when you talk about colleges, how does a player coming out from a college and, you know, uh, becoming an NBA star impact the college? You know, uh, does the college, does the rep of the college become much higher or is it that, is it that it remains the same and uh, players can come out of any college? Or is it that, you know, when, uh, let's say, LeBron comes out of a specific college, everyone wants to go to that college and then because they feel that they have a better chance there. Yes, it does work like that, where, you know, people will say, and you're seeing high-level players will say, I I went to whatever college because I know that they'll get me ready to be a professional there. Mm -hmm. So you see that a lot. Now, some of these players that we're seeing, like a LeBron, let's take him, had he gone to college, he's a player that could have gone to any college in the world and been the number one pick in the draft, right? right? He didn't need college. Right. And, and, and um, so a lot of these players that sometimes pick these colleges and say that a lot of them were, were going to be professionals anyway. Sure. And yes, there are also a lot of players also that will go to a college and essentially 
play themselves into being professionals mm -hmm. by utilizing and leveraging the training that they got at that, that specific college. Right. right. So that happens too. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these players that are high, high level players, even when they're in high school, Sid, they could go to virtually any college in America. Right. right? And, and, and be, and, and emerge from that college as the number one or number two pick. Mm -hmm. sure. So, um, you know, so it, it goes both ways. It just depends on the player. But um, yes, when you start seeing that and you start seeing a couple of particular colleges continue to be the places where players select, high school players go, and then they move on and go to college, that, yes, the system sort of feeds itself. Sure. So now, the, and it perpetuates itself. So now other players see that and they want to go and be a part of that. So yes, that happens. Um, but when you start looking at it from a revenue standpoint for, um, again, for the major colleges and, and universities, from a revenue standpoint, it does a lot for those schools. Because what it does is say the University of Kentucky, right? Let's take them in basketball. Here in the States, Kentucky is a public university funded primarily by the state of Kentucky, right? So it's public, not private, not like say MIT, Brandeis, Duke. Kentucky is a public university owned and operated by the state. So when you have state operated uh, universities, if you are a resident of the state of Kentucky, you're not playing basketball, you're just applying to the University of Kentucky. If you are a state resident, your tuition is lower than say someone from Texas wanting to go to the University of Kentucky, not an athlete, just a regular student. They're gonna to have to pay what we call out-of-state tuition. So their tuition will be higher, right? The reason why that's important and why these revenue sports are important is because the University of Kentucky is a major college basketball university in the United States supplying the NBA with lots of professional players from the University of Kentucky. So the, when their games are on TV here in the States all the time, Sid. So what that does is creates an appetite for a, a prospective student from Texas that says, man, I want to go to Kentucky because I want to go and watch those games all the time. Mm -hmm. Look at how crazy the crowd is. Man, I bet that's a lot of fun, mm -hmm. right? So the universities are now getting out-of-state tuition, which is at a premium, mm -hmm. they're charging out-of-state tuition for these students from these other states to come to Kentucky. And part of the reason why they want to come to Kentucky is because they want to go to the basketball games. Right. Right? Right. So, so it is very important to these universities. You see this a lot. At, with Alabama, the University of Alabama in football. So there are a lot of people 
that are from the northeastern part of the United States, New York, New Jersey, that go to Alabama mm -hmm. to go to college because those football games are on TV all the time and they want to be a part of that. Right. Right. They're not playing. They just want to go and be in the crowd and go to the parties and the tailgating. Sure. They want to be a part of that. So now the University of Alabama charges that student, that prospective student from New York, higher tuition than they would charge someone from the state of Alabama. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they are leveraging that success of that sport right. to gain students sure. and gain revenue. Sure. So very important aspect about the, the, um, the game of recruitment. Let me say it like that. Right, right, right. So uh, talk to me about college sports and the marketing side of it, because we don't have this here in India where we have huge crowds for college games. What, what, does Amer what do American colleges do? Different? Is it American culture or is there an actual, a huge marketing campaign behind it? Well, the marketing campaign has made it American culture right? Mm -hmm. These sports are embedded in the social fabric of this, of the particular region. Mm -hmm. So Alabama football is embedded in the social fabric of Alabama and, and the South Southern part of the United States, just like LSU and, and uh, which is Louis, Louisiana State University, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, University of Georgia, um, University of Florida, Florida State University. Uh, obviously here, Texas, right? Texas A&M. These, these sports are embedded in the social fabric of these respective regions. And so they've marketed those, they've made these games and it's easier from a football perspective because they play games once a week. So the games become like holidays in those regions. So people get together hours before the game outside of the stadium and they cook food and and they play games, they do all sorts of things, right? Right. And so that's, so they made it an experience. They made it a holiday. Right. So people do this, um, and sometimes when people do this, um, our Ohio State University is another one for football, particularly. Mm -hmm. When um, we lived in Chicago, before we moved to Dallas, um, I took my wife to a um, Ohio State uh, University of Miami football game. And both of them were ranked in the top five. So they were two of the top five teams in the country at that particular time. Mm -hmm. And the Ohio State University football stadium holds a little over 100,000 people and they sell it out for every game. But yes, and so it holds a little over 100,000 people. But even though it holds a little over 100,000 people, when you combine the people that are tailgating with the people that are actually going to the game, before the game starts outside of the stadium, mm -hmm. there may be 300,000 people outside of the stadium. Wow. And so the 100,000 and the little over 100,000 will go to the game and the other 200,000 will hang out outside the stadium. Right. Because there's a lot and of stuff going on outside as well. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So these are events. Mm -hmm. 
Sure. These are major events. And basketball at particular universities, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, these are events. Mm -hmm. Kansas, these are events. These yeah. are, are events that bring not only the college campus, but the surrounding region, it brings them all together. Mm -hmm. And and you know, so so it, it is it is a major part. So what they have done is now they have made, they've taken these sporting events and they've made people emotional about them, Sid. And sure. when you make people emotional about certain events, that's where it resonates at retail. When they become emotional, they start spending money. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. So that's the formula. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay. All right. So last dance, the last dance. Talk to us about the impact of Michael Jordan growing up and just incredible. I mean, no, incredible. incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I can say this again, from a perspective of being a player myself that wore number 23, mm -hmm. that was was actually playing and experienced the era in which he was playing, right? right? And then also too, working at Nike. Mm -hmm. um, over my shoulder are a pair, in a, in a case, are a pair of uh, Air Jordan 11s, right. called bread because they're black and red, right. that I actually got married in. And I was working at Nike at the time and the shoes weren't available at retail. So I was able to get eight pair of them made wow. for my, for every, for the groomsmen in my wedding mm -hmm. and myself. Wow. And, and, um, and also to my dad and my father-in-law. So, you know, um, it, 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 incredible, but his, his impact is again, that's over my shoulder. Sure. And um, so I got married in those. And so, again, not only can I say this as a, from a perspective as a player, but I also worked in basketball at Nike, mm -hmm. right? So, right. Um, so a major influence, lots of things when I was watching The Last Dance that I already knew. And also, too, for anybody that, that wants to see it, um, I have various live streams that – the, as they were showing the episodes here on Sundays mm -hmm. in the States, I would go on Instagram live and, and Facebook live the following Monday. Mm -hmm. So the next day, and I would give my insight on each episode. Right. And again, from a player perspective, from a marketing perspective, working at Nike, worked in the league, and also from a scouting perspective, because I was a scout. I'm a scout. Sure. So, um, so I talked about all of these things on that incredible 10 part series mm -hmm. and, and, um, you know, his impact on the game, Michael Jordan, you can make a case, Sid, that Michael Jordan may be the most underpaid athlete in the history of sports because not only did Michael Jordan forget the money that he earned himself, Michael Jordan is a major reason why Nike has become a pop culture company that it is now. Nike has transcended athletics. Sure. 
it is a pop culture company, right? It is a performance and technology brand that is morphed into a pop culture company. He's a big reason why, right? right. Um, the growth of the NBA, as the NBA is now exploding in India, right? Michael Jordan is a major reason why. A major reason why. Um, ESPN is now, and, and that was made evident as when the Dream Team played in 1992, and we talked about how the sport grew because he was a part of that and he was the leading man on that team, right? right. ESPN and the, and the, when you start looking at sports media, so Michael Jordan was not only responsible for um, the growth of basketball, he helped sports grow because he's a big reason why sports media grew. Mm -hmm. So now ESPN, Fox Sports, Sky Sports, all of these different sports outlets now have 24-hour news cycles. Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan is a big reason why that, uh, uh, he's a big part of that. So, so you can make a case and a good case that Michael Jordan may be the, the most underpaid athlete in the history of sports. And, and, and so his impact is, is just is exponential. You still see his impact today. You know, and you look at it from a sales, a shoe sales standpoint. The last time Michael Jordan played basketball, uh, Sid, was 2003. Mm -hmm. It's the last time he played, mm -hmm. right? The last time he was really Michael Jordan was 1998, sure, right? And he was still a great player in 2003, right? Still a great player, averaged 20 points a game, and, and he's the oldest guy to ever score 50 points in a game, right? And so I say that because Depend so if you take 2003, Michael Jordan hasn't played a basketball game in 17 years, right? If you take 1998, Michael Jordan hasn't played a, bas a, a basketball game in 22 years, depending on what side of the argument that you're on, right? So he hasn't done that in, in let's just say 2003. He hasn't done that in 17 years. And when you look at shoe sales every year, there's no contest as to who sells the, more sh the most shoes. Mm -hmm. This guy hasn't played in 17 years. Right. Right? He has not played in 17 years. LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, those guys don't come close to moving as many units as Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. And they're incredible players. Definitely. Need I say more? <laughs> his, his impact is just, I, I, I don't know if we'll see, I, I just don't know if we'll see an impact like this. I, I just don't know if we'll see it. Sure. And, and, you know, and, and players have, you know, even when you look at a, a, a Tiger Woods, or even when you look at a, a LeBron James, Again, that pathway was paved by Michael Jordan. And those guys, and, and, and Tiger Woods is not as impactful as a Michael Jordan is, mm -hmm. right? From a branding perspective. It's just, 
You know, the things that LeBron just does from a social standpoint are just off the charts. That's a different conversation, right? But just from a branding standpoint, I just, I just don't know if we're going to see another impact like this. Mm-hmm. Not in my lifetime. Maybe we will. But I, I, I don't see it on the horizon. Right. Right. I mean, uh, you know, when I was growing up, we didn't even watch basketball because, you know, the timings in India is like uh, the moment it's like we need to prepare for school. Uh, at those times, right, you know, right. 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m. in the morning. And uh, right. we still knew who Michael Jordan was, even <laughs> back then. Even without watching a single game, like Michael Jordan. And back then, no internet, no social media. And it's incredible. It says a lot. It says a lot. You know, his what, what he was able to do, and again, it's... And David Stern talked about that a little bit. And when he said, you know, the late David Stern great commissioner for the NBA. And he talked about the money that Michael Jordan made for other people. Sure. Right. Sure. So uh, again, he, he might, he may be the most underpaid athlete in the history of athletes of sports. Definitely. Mm-hmm. How amazing was the documentary? I mean, uh, you know, you watch movies, you get inspired, you get motivated for a day or two. I watched uh, the Last Dance, I guess, in April when it released, uh, you know, every right. single week. And there's nothing comes close. I'm still as motivated, as inspired by that documentary. Um, you know, even after like three months, especially during the pandemic, you know, with so much. And then right, right. when you just think about it, it's just incredible. Just his thought process and his competitiveness. And the thing is, it was a documentary. So you can vouch for it and any person who is coming through that age or that era can vouch for it, that it actually happened. Right, right. You know, to your point, and, and one of the things that really stood out to me, Sid, is toward the end, I, I can't remember exactly what episode it was. It may have been episode eight or so, and it ended, you know, or nine. It, may, it was close to the end. And you take this guy, and they sacrifice, there are a couple of things from the, and we talked about these things, right? And we talked about from the access that people have to athletes. Mm-hmm. And there was one before the statement in the end that I'm gonna talk about. But one part was really telling to me, do you remember the part where he was laying on the couch and they asked him and he said, if I have it to do all over again, I don't know. Sure. Right. Because it was the things that he was taught that he was referencing, Sid, it wasn't basketball. It was all of the other things. I can't take my kids to McDonald's. I can't take my kids to the mall. It's all of the other things that you sacrifice because because you're Michael Jordan, people think that they have all of this. They have a right to have access to you. Sure. Right. That was very telling when he said that. Right. Because again, people think because he was a, mi- a millionaire that they had a right to infringe on his privacy whenever they felt like it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so that, that's a tremendous cost that you pay. Tremendous cost. Sure. And, and, and right. Tremendous cost that you pay. And, and um, then one of the other things he said that really resonated with me as well 
where you could tell that. So he was, when he said that, I don't know if I would do it all over again. It was almost as if to me, Sid, the very machine that he was helping to grow was consuming him. Right. Does that make sense? Definitely. He was being consumed by the very machine that he was creating. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so that spoke volumes to me. And the other thing is that really spoke volumes. And there were lots of things, but these are one of the things just right off the top of my head. Toward the end, you remember when he said, yes, I wanted to win. And I wanted my teammates to win as well. Right. If you don't want to play that way, then don't. Mm-hmm. Remember how emotional he got, right? Mm-hmm. He was very emotional with that. Right. Right. So what it speaks to is when he left the first time and he came back, I think his teammates started to understand it's different being him. Sure. Right. Whereas at first when they would look at him and say, oh, man, this guy is just not a great teammate because he's so hard on us. Mm -hmm. But when he left. I think they gained a new appreciation for him and what he had to go through because it was different for him than it was for everybody else. And LeBron is in this in this regard too. LeBron will play on teams with great players. But Sid, he's the only legacy guy, meaning he is the only guy that if he does not win multiple championships, people will consider his career a failure. So that's a different set of circumstances for you. And your teammates have to understand that. So when they play with you, they have to perform and be dedicated at a different level because you have to be performed and be dedicated at a different level. Sure. Right. And that's what he was saying when he said, if you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. But you could tell that some of the things that people said and took taking shots at him because he was so competitive, it bothered him. Mm-hmm. Right. He was human. Right. Right. That's what it showed. And he's saying, look, we won championships and some of you guys not Dennis Rodman, not Scottie Pippen, you know, maybe a Steve Kerr, maybe a, a Will Perdue, maybe a Judd Bushler. You guys are successful because you play on the team with me. Sure. Right? Sure. So, yes, I'm, I'm difficult to play with because the circumstances that I have to compete under are totally different than anybody else's. Right. So, I think they understood him but i also when he left but i also think when he took that time and played baseball and he was away for a year and a half i also think that he came to understand them better as well mm-hmm. does that make sense definitely, definitely. And, and so so that really spoke a lot to me when he said that and he was very emotional about you don't want to play that way then don't right and 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 um it showed his human side and it showed how much people saying certain things probably impacted him and, and, and affected him. And because he carried so much of the weight for the team and the organization and the league and the sport, he couldn't show that. 
sure. Right? Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, um, I was actually following the, I don't know if you know him, Andrew Schulz. Uh, he's a pretty popular comedian in, the, in America and I was following his yeah. podcast, Flagrant 2, after every episode he used to talk about it. And the, it uh, one thing that they're talking about is the cost of greatness, you know? So was it worth it at the end? You know, of course, he's the goat. You can, you can call him the greatest, of course. But was it worth it, you know, sacrificing each and everything, every part of your life for being the best? And, and you compare it with, let's say, a Kobe who, okay, he didn't win six. He did win five. But then, I mean, of course, I mean, the tragedy that happened. But then he was able to come out of basketball and then move into his other business, right? And then he, yes. started, he started becoming successful in the next chapter of his life. I mean, of course, the yes. Jordan brand is doing extremely well. But then you look at MJ himself and you look, his, look at his appearance and you, you just feel like, okay, is he happy? And I, I, I was like, what is is that how a person who has won it all is supposed to look and it just got me thinking you know it's interesting that you say that Sid, because i i think the kobe bryant's and the lebron james's of the world what they've been able to do is look at michael jordan and learn sure right so they those players had been again going back to another aspect that we discussed about being well-rounded as an athlete. Right. So those players were well, well-rounded in doing other things while they were playing basketball. Sure. Kobe investing in his family, mm-hmm. right? And, and looking at things. One thing about Kobe Bryant, as he won that, the, the Oscar for Dear Basketball and all of the other things that he was doing, Kobe Bryant is very planful, right? So... With that being said, if people think that when Kobe was playing basketball, that he didn't give any thought to what he's going to do afterwards, Mm -hmm. they're sadly mistaken. This is a guy that that plans out everything. Right. So writing books and all of those different things that Kobe started to manifest after he finished playing, those things were already in the works. Right. Those things were already in the works, mm-hmm. right? Kobe playing the piano. Those things were already in the works before mm-hmm. he retired. LeBron has multiple business ventures, right? He has entertainment companies. He has a school. So these are guys that looked at that and said, you know what? In order for me to continue to be great on the basketball floor and have some semblance of a life, I have to devote my energies to other things outside of this as well while I'm playing, sure. right? And I know that, that that's the real answer, Sid. And I know that Joe Q public always, well, my, these guys, we, they, again, if it's about money, they make a certain amount of money, it should be all basketball all the time. No, it should not be, mm-hmm. right? No, it should not be. And, and, and so um, they, they need to do other things. If you want to see the best version of themselves on the floor, they need to be um, fulfilled in other areas of their lives. Sure. And so Kobe and LeBron saw that. 
right? And, and, and Michael, and he didn't say this because he's very private until the, they honored Kobe at the Staples Center. Michael said he was my little brother. Sure. And nobody knew that, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to believe that they've talked about that before, Definitely. right? Right. They've talked about what happens when you transition. Right. 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 And, and so knowing Kobe and how inquisitive he is, of course they talked about that. Definitely. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so they learned from, from Michael. They learned from that. Sure. And, and, and so I can tell you as a player, Sid, let, let me talk about my own personal experience. You know, this is very personal, but when I was working in the NBA, it was my first job. Mm -hmm. So I've been playing basketball all of my life. Um, no, not all of my life, but, you know, I've just been playing organized sports all of my life and then basketball, right? And... I go to work in the NBA. So I'm around basketball every day. And I go there. I'm around the sport every day. I'm actually playing in the Urban Professionals League in New York. So they have a league in New York where they take people that are working people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most of the people played in college, played professionally, did all those things. And we come together and we play in a league, high-level basketball. I'm saying this for a reason. Because after a couple of months when I was in the NBA, I was depressed. And, and um, I, I went and I spoke with someone and I walk in and the person says to me, before we start, she says, you were an athlete. And I got upset initially, Sid, and because I thought she was being racist, right? And she said, nope. She said, let, let, me, let me break this down to you. And this is, where, this is the starting point for our conversations. She said, you, what did you play? I said, I play basketball. And she said, okay. And she said, you played in college? I, yes, I did. And she said, all right, here's the starting point of our conversation. You played this, and, and, and she knew that she asked me what I did for a living. I said, I work in the NBA. And she said, here's our starting point. You played a sport all your life, you're young. You graduate from college, now it's done, right? And you're going through withdrawal. Because for me, again, not making any judgment on anybody, I was a very serious athlete, very serious. So I had no vices, no judgment on anybody, no drinking, no smoking, none of that. My vice was the competition. You get addicted to the competition. I got addicted to when I go on the road and I make a game, uh, make a big play and I'm panning the crowd and you take the collective air out of the building. It's no feeling like that for me. That's the best feeling in the world, right? When you shut the building down, it's the best feeling, feeling in the world. 
Now I'm around basketball every day, but I don't get that feeling anymore because I'm not playing. Right. Even when I'm playing in the urban for professionals league, that's not the same. Sure. Right? Sure. So you get to feel down. There's nothing like it. Mike Tyson is, is boxing again because he said, and he said, now that I'm not, when he wasn't boxing, he said, I don't, I feel like a nobody. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Because the competition becomes the vice. Right. Does that make sense? Definitely. It becomes the vice. Definitely. It's the reason why Sig people, Michael Jordan included, is the reason why people retire and come back. It's not the money. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Right? It, it's, it's the vice of competition. You get addicted to it. Right. It's the camaraderie being in the locker room. When people retire, that's what they say that they miss. Mm -hmm. Right? Even yeah. people that when they were ready to retire, they're like, yeah, I don't miss the practices and things. I just miss the locker room and competition. They say people that retire say, if I could just show up for the games every day, I'd still be playing. Mm -hmm. right <laughs> right but you can't do that right you gotta go to practice you gotta do the preparation yeah. so that was a major and so my conversations with her started at that point mm -hmm. you know because it, it was again I, and i didn't understand it until she broke it down to me right yeah i mean uh, um especially you know when you get done with the sport, I mean, playing professionally, and then you get back into the sport and you still, you have to watch other people coming through the ranks and then they're competing and it's really tough. Yeah. It's very tough. Yes. And imagine how it is for him when it's like, you know, you're coming to the ranks and there are all these people that are being compared to you and you're like, I'm better than them. Sure. Right. And, and I can't demonstrate that because of age. Right. right? Or, or then think about this. When you play sports, here's one of the things, and this is one of my assessments from watching The Last Dance. When you play sports, sports is supposed to be the ultimate meritocracy, right? It's supposed to be the best get to compete, and that's it. That's so far from the truth. Mm -hmm. right there's so many political things that are involved in sports and the higher you go up the more political it becomes right. right case in point think about this michael jordan had just won his, his, his sixth championship in the 90s after taking a year and a half off right. he could have swept the first eight years of the 90s he probably could have won all eight of them right, right? so here you are you're the finals, you're the all-star game MVP in 98. You're the finals MVP in 98. You lead the league in scoring in 98. You win the title in 98, right? Again, it's a meritocracy. I'm the best in the world. And your fate is not even in your hands. The ownership says, we're done. Sure. Imagine that. Imagine the toll that that takes on you, mm -hmm. right? When you are literally, when you're, you're saying this is this, the best are supposed to be able to play and I'm still the best and you guys are telling me I can't play. Imagine right. that. Mm -hmm. Right? That, that's that, that, that's got to be a crazy feeling. 
especially after everything you did to build this franchise up. And think about this again, Michael Jordan, his impact, Sid, because during his time in the 80s when he was becoming Air Jordan, right? Chicago is the third biggest media market in the United States behind New York and LA. So it's great for the television networks and the franchises and the respective sports, the leagues, when the, the teams in Chicago are good because of the exposure. It's the third biggest media market in the United States, right? So while Michael Jordan in the 80s was becoming Michael Jordan, not only was he carrying the Bulls, he was carrying the third biggest media market in the United States because after the 80, the Bears won the Super Bowl in 85, mm -hmm. they weren't very good after that. Mm -hmm. The Cubs weren't good. Right. The White Sox weren't good. This is the third biggest media market in the United States. Sure. He's carrying the third biggest media market. Right? So, and I can say that from being in California because when the Lakers were going back to back, in the mid in the late 80s when they won back-to-back -back titles in the late 80s guess who else won the world series in 1988 the la dodgers mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. you know guess who else was pretty good and pretty relevant during that time in the 80s the los angeles raiders oh right mm -hmm. so all of these other so michael so you got la which was the second biggest media market in the united states but as great as Magic was, Magic was, the other teams were good as well. Sure. Right? So, again, this guy's impact, man, and what he's done for, is it, just immeasurable. It really is. Sure. Sure. So, um, Antonio, to wrap things up, I mean, yeah. I'd like to have this as another podcast, but... Uh, if you could just shed light on the WNBA and uh, what's going on and talk, uh, talk to us about the popularity and how everything's getting much more popular. Yeah, let's do, let's certainly do that because I love these incredible women. And, you know, one of the things for me in the W is, is um, my wife was a division two all American and, um, and before my wife was a Division II All-American, as I said, when my aunt played basketball, my introduction to basketball was through the great Cheryl Miller, who is known as probably the greatest women's basketball player of all time. Mm -hmm. But again, talking about not being in control of your destiny, she's the greatest women's basketball player of all time. She helped grow women's basketball in college, and there was no professional league for her unless she went to – she played abroad mm. right so again um incredible player that's that's reggie miller's sister incredible player incredible player okay. has the she has the record for the most points scored in a high school basketball game she scored 105 points in a high school basketball game she's incredible right. she is incredible right mm -hmm. so that was my introduction to basketball mm -hmm. not women's basketball basketball right right her 
So, um, and, and that great team that she played on at USC, Cynthia Cooper, um, uh, talking about the WNBA, uh, Paula and Pamela McGee are twins that were great players as well. Pamela McGee is JaVale McGee's mother, right? Their da- her daughter, Imani McGee Stafford, also played in the WNBA. She's taking a couple years off because she's now in law school, mm-hmm. right? So Pamela McGee is the only woman in, 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 in history to have a son in the NBA and a daughter in the WNBA, Wow. right? Okay. Yeah. So, so as I say that, I, my support of women, if people want to take me watching women's basketball and being a fan of women's athletics as supporting women, then that's great. But I don't watch them to support women. I support women in other ways. Mm-hmm. I watch them in the WNBA because they're incredible basketball players, man. <laughs> right? And so if you like basketball and you claim to love basketball and claim to love the sport and claim to want to see the best players, then you should watch the W as well. Sure. And so, um, you know, so I've been a fan since I was actually at the game um, in 98. I was there when, um, when Lisa Leslie and um, Rebecca Lobo did the jump ball at half court and in the uh, great, great Western form at the time. And it was the Sparks against the Liberty. Val Ackerman, who was Val Ackerman, who was the commissioner of the WNBA was throwing the ball at at half court. So I was there. She did the honorary tip. Um, So I've been a fan of the W since the inception Um, and a fan. Now here we are there in their 24th season still a fan um, and, and, and people are 23rd season. I'm still a fan and, and, and people still look at them and they compare the W in the NBA. And, and it's like, no disrespect, but none of us were around when the, when the NBA was in his 23rd season. Mm-hmm. Right. And to put that in perspective, when Magic Johnson and Larry Bird met in the NBA finals, for the very first time, their rookie years, when their rookie year is a rookie year for both players, the NBA Finals was broadcast on tape delay. They didn't even show it live. Right. So the NBA, so what that says is the league is on life support, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? So we compare the W in its infancy to the NBA right now, when the NBA is in its 79th or 80th season. Sure. It's not an apples-to-apples comparison. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. But it's an incredible game, and, and, and people should go, and they should watch these women play because they are incredible players. Um, Seattle is a favorite um, uh, for the title. The Western Conference is tough, mm-hmm. right? And, the way, and so and what, the, when, what they do in the playoffs is, in the W, they just take – the best records and they seed them. They don't go conference and they just see that that's how they do it. Okay. Right. And so it's incredible the way they do it, mm-hmm. but Seattle's tough because they're coming back at full strength because they were missing Sue Bird and the great Brianna Stewart, who's an MVP. Um, she tore her Achilles and she missed last year. Well, no. she's back this year. Okay. So they're, they're, they're very good. Very good. They're deep. They're talented. So they have veterans they have young stars and they have depth. Mm-hmm. But again, growing up 
being being a California guy growing up there, I'm a Sparks fan. <laughs> so um, I, I like their team a lot. Want to see them do very well. Obviously, the Washington Mystics were the champions last year. They're missing their best player in the league MVP, uh, Elena Deladon, um, who's an incredible player. But they're also a very deep team also. Sure. Um, so this season will be fun. Again, a lot of wacky things are going to happen. Uh, Vegas is missing um, a very important piece. And the great Liz Cambage, very because you know, see, she um, decided not to play because of the health risks, mm-hmm. which I understand. Yeah. Um, so this would be an entertaining season. It's a sobering season again because I watched six games last weekend, and social distancing practices were in play. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, um, again, regardless of my feelings, I now that these women are playing. I need to support them. So I watch because sure. they're incredible players. Sure. So we need to have a, a let, let's next time, let's talk about them a lot Definitely. about them. Definitely. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, you know, we have people talking about um, supporting women in sports and different sports. And, you know, you have people watching it just for the sake of supporting, but it's incredible to see someone who's so passionate about the sport just in itself and not just say say it like, you know, I'm watching it because we should support women and stuff like that. That's incredible to hear. And I, I could literally feel, feel it, you know, just the way uh, how you're talking about it, you know, right? I mean, it's yeah. you know, fooling around, or, you know, just saying it because it sounds good. So that's... No, no, great. no, no. Yeah. I, I, I watch this. I watch this sport, follow this, watch them, follow them, have always followed them, you know, um, I certainly embrace new fans coming along, come aboard. Right. Like, so it's not, it's not. And, you know, I don't feel territorial or antagonistic toward new fans. You know, I want them to be part, a a part of this, uh, this journey, but no, um, love those women love watching them play. Um, Again, a great, I appreciate the game Uh, for anybody again, that wants to see them uh, or talk. I did some things talking about, um, some uh, the great Tamika Catchings, who's part of the 2020 Basketball Hall of Fame induction class. My wife's coach is in that class as well. Uh, but also, too, right, um, b- right before the draft or right after the draft, I did some microblogging on IG and talked about some of the players that were drafted that I really liked and talked about some of the aspects of the game of their games that I really liked as rookies coming into the WNBA. So um, really passionate about watching them, love watching them, and uh, let's talk about them very soon. Definitely, definitely. Um, Antonio, thank you. Thank uh, you, you. I mean, uh, it was so hard. I guess we spoke a month, uh, a month and a half back, and then I gave you right. a time, and then I just followed up, and I was waiting, and I'm so glad we got to do this. And I guess this is one. This is def- this is the longest. Uh, podcast we've done so so that's (laughs) incredible thank you so much no thank you i I, know i appreciate you uh sharing your the platform with me and uh certainly looking forward to doing it again great and uh antonio talk to us about your current projects and what are you up to now and uh yeah so yeah so i'm i'm back in content creation and in the media and in loving it and again sharing my experiences and you know my last few 
um, stops professionally, I, I couldn't have a public presence. So right after ESPN and you're going to Nike, you're negotiating deals, you're scouting players, et cetera, you can't talk about those things yeah. publicly. Then of course, when you're on, from a financial standpoint, you can't talk about what players are doing publicly. And then, you know, obviously when you're scouting for a team, you can't talk about what you're going to do and the players that you like publicly, you can't talk about those things. Yeah. So now back in that space again and sharing my experiences, my knowledge, all of those different things um, from a public perspective, um, enjoying it a lot. So doing a lot of um, having, sharing platforms like I am with you, mm -hmm. doing my own shows as well, which yeah. I need to have you on, mm -hmm. um, doing my own shows, writing, doing all sorts of things back in the media again. And again, if anybody wants to, and I hope people join and follow, they can follow me on Instagram, um, Facebook, Twitter, a.williamsbasketball, YouTube as well. So um, again, it's, it sounds the way, it's spelled the way that it sounds. Nothing creative in the spelling. I uh, try to make it uh, uh, easy for everyone to find me with all of the things that they have at their disposal on the internet. So um, again, a.williamsbasketball. Sid, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Please stay safe and let's do this again. For sure, for sure. Thank you so much, Antonio. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Yeah, you too, man.